Women Making Waves. I'm feeling in a very sorry state, mm. Susie. Oh no, why, why Linda? I mean, that's... Well, it's because I've just come back from two weeks off. Ah. And I hate that feeling where you've looked forward to a holiday, you know, and you've gone two weeks away. No matter where it is, even if it's not very exciting, the coming back. I know it's kind of like first world problems, but it is verging on the, the dreadful, really. It's funny you should say that, Linda, because I was only just talking about that with one of my daughters because... They came back from holiday about two weeks before me. And when I arrived back, I was still on that high a day after mm. thinking, yeah, this is great. I feel really good. And they were saying, oh, this is just, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, do I need another holiday? Or I don't, I mean, And that lost state, isn't it? That real yeah. lost state. And now, just like you, I'm feeling like it. Three weeks after coming back. It's oh, weird, well, isn't see, it? I came back on the bank holiday and didn't even enter my cases. Oh, I mean, that's how right. bad it was. And then when I went back to work on the Tuesday, I was like a sulky teenager. <laughs> I almost had to be prodded towards my desk. <laughs> and I had a face on me. And everyone's going, oh, oh, you're back then. Did you have a nice time? And I was going, yeah. And I, bet, I bet they're thinking, they're trying to approach you and ask you nice things about your holiday. Yeah. And then you walk away and they're thinking... Why is she so unhappy? I, know, I, mean, I wish she was say. still away, the yeah. miserable. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, Linda, but you said it. <laughs> well, yeah. But That's on like that note, exactly though... how I felt, and it's did, not got much better for the rest of the week. I mean, can we ask you now, without getting the the grur look, did mm-hmm. you have a nice holiday? Can you remember yeah, yeah, that it was very far nice. back? I mean, the only thing I would say is that I've sat here working, looking out on a sunshiny day after a sunshiny day. What happens when I go off on holiday? The sunshine no. disappears. And the further north we went, with every mile we travelled, oh. the temperature plummeted. Oh. It, it was just kind of like in a, in a graph. It was just going all the way down. And then, of course, people in Scotland are going, hey, it's beautiful, it's 19 <laughs> degrees. And I was wearing a cardigan going, 19 oh. degrees is not hot. Oh, it might later. be we're up here, but it's not hot. We've just been you know, down in 30-something, 30 32 and a left. 19 when I got there. I mean, it's 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 not fair, Susie. You are one of only a few amount of people in the UK that have experienced not the sunshine this year. It's quite funny, Linda. You've got a lot. I know we shouldn't. Typical. It's yeah. typical. Typical but, of me. Yeah. If you wanted to find yourself in a place where you would think that is a holiday moment, where would it be? Would it be say in and by the fireplace drinking something nice after a nice walk in the in the day or would you like to be by the sea there's no such thing as a nice walk Susie but <laughs> I quite like I quite like the seaside but I don't like the sand right you don't have to have sand on a beach you, know? you can't have pebbles oh you don't want pebbles oh. to hurt your feet Oh, oh no, no! Well, no, if you not if you've got the right shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so, what pleases you? What does it take, Chris, to please you to go on holiday? I don't know. Oh, I don't know what pleases me anymore. Actually, since I got back, yeah, there has been no pleasing me. Right, and I've been very, very grumpy. Okay. Okay. And what about you? You you don't look very grumpy at all. No, no, I don't look very grumpy. Pleased with yourself. I- yeah. <laughs> She says very enviously. <laughs> I am pleased with myself, though I have, as I said, I've been feeling quite a little bit low after having nice holiday. And we did get the sun, Linda. I can't, I can't get away from the fact we did have the sun. And I came back, and people were saying, "Oh, you look so brown, Susie." But now oh, the sun, really? the tan's going. Even the cream doesn't stop it. And it's not good for your skin. Just to mm. cheer myself up a bit. <laughs> 
the rain's quite good for your skin, I find. So yeah, know, that's true. Yeah, you're on okay. the upside. Yeah, you know, you, you're probably probably well, worse off, really, with okay. all your sunshine okay. and your, so, oh, your sand. Th- thanks, Linda. Thanks, Linda. Always look on the bright side of life. And talking about on the bright side of life, we have two really, really interesting guests, don't we? Yes, we do. We do. Today, we're going to be meeting Danae Shell. Danae, very, very interesting woman. She saw many examples of workplace discrimination and harassment. And through sheer frustration, she co-founded and is a CEO of Vala. And it's a legal platform for workers. So people can go on there and get really cost-effective advice. People that might not be able to afford to go to law firms mm. for their employment advice. I think that's a great idea. Absolutely. I think it's important. And I'm so pleased that we are going to be speaking to Danae Shell. And we also meet Berenice Smith. Now, she is owner of Hello Lovely and she is also a podcast presenter like us. Like us, Linda. Like us. She is. I know. The podcast is called The Full Stop. It's a social design project that raises awareness of involuntary childlessness. And that's all Mm. here. We're making waves this week. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. A self-confessed anorak and a geek when it comes to creative design, graphic and web designer, writer, stained glass artist and all-purpose creative, that's Berenice Smith and she's our guest today. Solving problems, of course, is her specialist subject, is the part where Berenice likes the most. Now, having spent two years at Cambridge School of Art for a Master's in Graphic Design and Topography and gaining a huge amount of work practice from then on, Berenice then set up her own company about four years ago. And the company is called Hello Lovely. It's such a great name. So a huge, huge, big hello to you, Berenice. Welcome to Women Making Thank you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be Mm -hmm. here. Very, very honoured and thrilled. We first met you at an event in Mm -hmm. Cambridge last year, I think. It was run by Gemma Wilcox, wasn't it? That wonderful evening we had and you were presenting then. Oh, yes, it was. uh, Yeah, it was um, all about resilience in that. Really nice. That thing that we we had still have um yeah pandemic wasn't it yes exactly i know it was such Mm. a lovely evening and we met some wonderful people including you you. now i know i what i would love to touch on as well but you Uh you run a podcast too which um i didn't put in the intro but i want to mention it because i think it's equally as important and it's called yes full stop it is about childlessness yes it is yeah yeah yes But first of all, just to kick off this lovely time we're having with you, tell us about how you got into graphic and web designing, because I think you have a little bit of a a story when you were very, 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 very very young. 
Yes, with crayons. Yes. <laughs> I, it was a blue Peter badge, actually. I've got three of them. How nerdy is that? I wasn't allowed <laughs> to watch Magpie or Tis Was or anything. And I, I used to go around to my best friend Julie's house, actually, and go around there and watch things like Don't See You Make Peace and Magpie and Tis Was. But at home, we were watching BBC. Blue Peter was like a big thing in our house. And my mum used to make us kind of draw stuff and do things and send them in. And I think I've got, I'm going to check whether I should have checked. I think I've got three Blue Peter badges. I want to just wear one, actually, see if I can get free into anywhere. Because I think that was what you got them for. <laughs> so yes. that's kind of when it started off. And then later on, oh, goodness, we had career talks at school, at secondary school. And I really struggled with that because I just didn't want to do anything that they suggested, you know. And it's that era, I suppose, you know, be, being of an age where it was kind of like nurses for girls, you know, that sort of thing, and, and you know, train drivers. And I thought, I just fancy that, don't you? train driver or something like that but I saw a video popped up about being a commercial artist and I can vividly remember that being a light bulb moment that's what I want to do it was the only thing that had appealed to me in I think three years of watching these these things sat there every Thursday morning you know, thinking <laughs> they've got to be a career somewhere and then they just showed you videos and you had to sort of find something you know and three years of this yeah that sort of started it and I was quite sure I wanted to my dad actually um, worked for the railway and one of the people that he worked with and I have to give credit to him was a chap called Jerry Floyce who was working with him on the ticket office at Cambridge Station and he ended up eventually being the scribe to the late Queen Mother and he used to send through these beautifully drawn cards they're all calligraphic cards they were absolutely gorgeous and he was a big influence on my life growing up too because everything he did was beautiful and it, I just loved the way that he'd moved from being you know working on a ticket hall to suddenly being this scribe to the Queen <laughs> Mother and that was all part of probably my life. Did you find then when you were growing up that obviously when you discovered that this is what you want to do and when you realised that's what it was, did you get resistance to it or did you find that you could literally go along oh, with your, your a, a little bit. I think my parents were a bit bemused by it, I think. It was kind of, I think, tortured artists and an attic syndrome, that sort of thing, <laughs> I would imagine. I never really asked them, to be honest. I think they just sort of thought, oh, gosh. Um, but I, they made me go and do all the, all the sensible stuff. So I've got an RSA2 in typing. If I had to do useful things before I could do anything else. And I think that actually is really good because it just meant that I had something just to fall back on. And yeah, so a little bit of resistance. But <laughs> I think no more than I think probably an awful lot of people listening to to this and many of my freelance friends will go yeah but most of my family don't even really quite know what being a freelance person is. or why would you want to set up a business what's wrong with you, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah there's there's that too you know and I think most of the people that I've met in in business world are very passionate about what they do and yeah. proud of that and it is their kind of identity uh, design is very much my identity it saved me so many times and I'm very very lucky to do something I love but also I think to get deeply interested in it and try and translate it in a way that it makes it accessible and fun to other people. From starting off as a graphic designer now it's all computerized and things I mean it must have changed immensely. I think it has yeah I mean I remember the very first Mac arriving in fact I've got one in the loft a Mac classic 
and they, they were kind of meant to be portable. These things, you, you go Google them. Young young listeners, go Google. But yeah, it has changed a lot. The colours that you had were like you know, RGB, bright reds and bright greens yeah. and lots of really dodgy stuff. And it took sort of design to come in and to change the shape of the internet into something that we know now, driven by design and designers who can code. So it, it does change. It's always changing. I'd like to think that the structure of design, that learning and the history of design is still very present though that if people have a good grasp when they're coming in to design of those principles they can go far in fact it's odd because I've had somebody who lives very close to my house who has expressed an interest in work experience and I've given them some design work to do um, they're halfway between sixth form and then going up to university and it's so exciting I'm just so excited for them I'm like, oh, can I come with you <laughs> the beginning again because um, it's just so exciting to hear their journey and where they've come from but it's it's interesting to take it from their point of view in that transition period and that their briefs are given by their tutors and how they lack that lack of commercial experience and how you know the wheels fall off you know no no design job it would be wrong of me to sit here and say every design job I've done has been perfect it isn't there is stuff that goes wrong but with experience of course you know how to fix it or you can see it coming over the hill and go okay we need to just go this way let's swerve around this problem and do this instead but it's lack of that awareness I think within education that does concern me because I think working practice in design could be quite ruthless it's not an easy job to yeah and understanding what people want Mm. as well just translating what's in their head that's tricky yeah yeah. that's very tricky I've been take boxes of lego and toys and things to, to client meetings because they've got just too stuck or too hung up on something and you have to kind of get them out of that thought process and okay it's this and you know let's play because actually playing sometimes is better than trying to sit here and with pencil and paper and a whiteboard or or a mac or pinterest let's play with something and see what we end up with that can sometimes be a different approach it's just trying to get people out of what they want for them and thinking about their audience because it's not my design it's not really their design it's actually the design that works for the people that they have under their as clients now or future clients you mentioned earlier about the craziness of going freelance or starting your own business <laughs> how, <Yeah. laughs> how did that actually come about then when did you, you take the plunge in that You alluded earlier on to the full stop, and I guess it starts sort of somewhere prior to that. I was working for Pearson, um, who were based in Harlow, the parent group of, of Penguin, and there was about 40 of us, I think, all made redundant very unexpectedly. And... I took my redundancy money and I thought, we've been through six rounds of IVF at that point and miscarriages. It hadn't worked. And I had the redundancy money and I could either do one more round of IVF or do something else. And my husband and I had a very long conversation about his worry for my mental health, which was really, really poor at the time, and my physical health, because I've been through quite a lot of bad health over the IVF it's not an easy process and I'd ended up with something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome which can be fatal I'd had quite a lot of stuff going on with me and I went for a job interview in London and it was a really hot day in July and I've never been so pleased to come back to Cambridge it was a really good job it was a well-paid job it was in design it was in publishing it was kind of arguably if I'm in a better place I probably would have gone yeah I can have it but I thought no I don't want to do the train anymore I don't want to go to London anymore I've done that before it was hell and I walked home or cycled home via East Road 
and as Anglia Ruskin was there. And it had master's degrees. And one of the things was listed was graphic design. And I thought, oh, and that's how I sort of ended up doing a master's degree. And that then gave me, I think, the confidence to say, okay, let's do something else because I couldn't carry on, I think, in the way that I was. I needed to find me again and who I was and my worth and my value. I'm not sure that necessarily sort of going, oh, set up a business is perhaps the thing to do because it's it's horribly risky and it leaves you exposed. But I think I needed to prove a point to myself that I have some talent, I had a value. And it was all around, I think, self-worth at the time I'd, I'd literally hit rock bottom I, I had hit rock bottom eight years ago I really hit rock bottom the rock bottom and had to claw my way back up that was eight years ago in March mm. and that kind of was a big part of probably kind of yeah the design was a big part of I think and, and Hello Lovely is a huge part of my life because I think it's given me something back and of course I've met some mm. brilliant people my clients are amazing and they're lovely and all of them have stories to tell and it's just interesting what I do, I, I love working with different people and feeling like I'm part of their journey and I have a part to play in what they do. It's an incredibly humbling experience. Yeah. Berenice, it's interesting because you, you say, and quite rightly, and obviously I'm sorry to hear that you, you went the way you did and had rock bottom. Thank and you. I'm going through six rounds of failed IVF and recurrent miscarriages is mm. a lot, yeah, a lot to deal with. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, 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 mm. I feel Thank for you. you. I really do. When a door closes for whatever reason, and mm. your reason was pretty, pretty substantial, another door opens. And I think that's maybe your mindset, I think, has, has helped that, do you think, as mm. well? I know that you had PTSD as well. And that is, you know, it, it surrounds us. And I have close friends mm. and family who go have gone through this and are still going through it. But sometimes a door does open and either you take that chance or you don't take it. And it doesn't matter if you don't, but you obviously did. I, I, you said that you discovered your degree. Do you feel very thankful that you took that little cycle I route? Do. I do. Ross, I do. I really do. And actually the lecturer, he's, he's retired now, but Will Hill was the lecturer there at the time. And I'm very grateful to him for his encouragement as well. On the course, it was the first time that I sort of spoke about what I'd been through and reasons for being there. We, we had a module that was all about like a, a what was a collaborative project. I forget what the term was. It's terrible, isn't it? I ought to remember all of this stuff. It was a big part of my life. But it was to do with collaborating. And he had an idea. I went to his office one day and he had an idea for what I could do and started talking. And I said, no, 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 no. No, there's a thing I need to do. And I've got to get out of my system. And it's a bit like this. It's something to do with telling the stories of people who have been through childlessness. And he said, oh, and I explained, you know, look, actually, this has happened to me and I need to do this thing. And it turned out to, it became a project, a web-based project, but I'd, I had lots of ideas and maybe it will come to fruition. I'm not too sure what it will be. I could walk in our shoes. And it was all to do with getting stories and, and taking feet photographs. And that became quite a big thing for my life many years after the master's degree. I stopped it now because the podcast took over and Hella Lovely took over. But it was just something I did. And it was the first time I sort of stood up and said to anybody, look, actually, this happened to me. And there's something here that I can do that's quite powerful for that. So in a way, the design connected to the, the IVF that connected to the master's degree that led to something and and it was just one of those sort of weird yeah. sort of coincidences in life yeah 
Yeah, this yeah. happened actually, the story that you're telling happened to a friend of mine. And I think people will deal with it in one of two ways. Either they will just not really talk about it and not really want to talk about it. And clearly it must be therapy for you in some way, I think. Is it? Is it some kind of therapy? Because doing a podcast about it, and you met, you <laughs> met your, your, your fellow presenters at Fertility Fest. Yeah. What made, what made you go to Fertility Fest? I was invited, actually. I think I went to one of the previous ones. The lady who ran it, um, Jessica Hepburn, is incredible. Swam the English Channel um, to get over her IVF, as as one does. And wow. Was recently, wow. I, I think she climbed Everest a couple of months ago. Oh, good um, grief. And she's absolutely, her book, 21 Miles, just re, it's just brilliant. 21 Miles, Jessica Hepburn, it's amazing. She started this with a friend of hers who has got children and it's all about, or it was all about infertility and fertility and educating people about fertility. And they held it at Shepherd's Bush and then the following year was at the Barbican. I went to the Shepherd's Bush when I was invited along. I met Michael, who is one third of the podcast, Michael Hughes. And we met in a pub in Shepherd's Bush. He comes from Australia, born in Essex, comes from Australia. And he's just the loveliest, biggest bear of a man and absolutely just brilliant. I love him to bits. We just immediately kind of clicked and he's just so nice. And I thought, there's something here but there's something I don't want to do but I didn't know quite what it was mm. and then a year later I met Sarah Lawrence who is the other third of the podcast and she helpfully comes from Kent and from London area which is a bit closer we just got on like a house on fire I'd, I'd met her a few times and we chatted to each other online once or twice when she was doing a couple of webinar things and she's a qualified counsellor we saw the BBC Rachel Bland Award. Uh, Rachel Bland presented the Big C. She passed away from cancer and the BBC ran a competition for a podcast and to support it. And Sarah and I scribbled this idea out between us and thought we need somebody else. And men don't have a say in this. You never hear from, from men. You don't really that's hear true. from LGBTQIA plus either with this. And that's something we're very keen to diversify on the podcast. But at the time, we were trying to take in small sort of incremental steps and... Dr. Robin Hadley is a researcher whose PhD is all about broodiness in men. And he says that there's thought to be more childless men than women, but it just isn't talked about. And there actually isn't any data on mm. childless men. I could give you statistics on childless women, roughly 48 million. One in six women are childless, not by choice. But there's nothing around men who are childless, not by choice. So we wanted Michael to be involved. And by that point, we'd created an idea. We got long listed. We didn't get short listed. And we thought, oh, hell, we'll get on with it. So we did. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That, that's, that's wonderful. That really is. There's another door <laughs> open and not just for yourselves, but for the many people, yeah. as you say, who are childless and need uh, yes. to reach somewhere. And that's fantastic. This podcast then, exactly what do you want people to get out of the, the podcast that, that you have made and will be producing more? What's oh, the sort of the main well, thing for you? God, well, there's lots of things, I suppose. I think the first is, yes, to support the community around us and to give them hope. You know, we, we swear, we laugh. Filthy laughs, actually, <laughs> me and Sarah. <laughs> We're very good at swearing. Too. Um, um, so I think to, to kind of give some inspiration, but to also be honest as well, we've talked about everything from racial inequality. We've talked about sex 
and intimacy. That pops up too. We talked about that. It took us two years to get to that point, but we did talk about it. Aging without children as well. We cover so many things that other people don't talk about because I think you've got to kind of unpick at these things. It's easy to sit there and go, where is me? But actually you've got to talk about, I think, the political stuff, the funding stuff, there's all the, the, the social absences and the gaps, I think, in social care for people who don't have children and also the mental health um, deficit too. There just isn't enough support out there for people who are grieving and it's a lifelong grief. But also, I think as well as a community, I think it's very much aimed at friends, at family, at colleagues. We talk about work, what it's like to work and to, to be a business owner and to have to go into networking groups. And it might be that everyone else is doing it for the kids. And you think, oh my God, mm. and that can be triggering. It can be really, really upsetting on a bad day, yeah. on an anniversary or any point in any stage of the recovery, I think, from the trauma of, of loss. I think probably our work will be done when people stop saying, just adopt. I think if 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 we can end that phrase, right. then I think that would yeah. we'd probably go. Yeah, okay, we're we're done. Do you still find that there's this, cal not callousness, not callousness, people around you, friends and family, just say the wrong things, meaning well. But it's like just adopt or, well, you'll get over it or, or there's more to life than. Do you find that people still make those kind of comments? And, and is it really difficult to hear? Yes. And yes, <laughs> I think it is. I, I think the danger that you have, you do something like a podcast. I, I don't think that my family listen to it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't really sort of tend to sort of ask too much, but um. I think if they did listen to it or they they heard me talking about it, then I think there's an end, there's sort of a, a point. Oh well, you're over it then, aren't you? So if you, it's a fine line between being over something, but being able to speak about it, and being able to help others, and that's difficult. It, I think it's difficult for other people to understand what that might be like. That it, it's something that just lives with you forever. And it's human nature to want to fix, you know, mm -hmm. we're human yeah. beings. I, yeah. I think if I, yes. if I hadn't have had kids, if I had kids, if say the IVF had worked and I met somebody who it hadn't worked. This actually happened to me, actually, on the St. John Ambulance mental health first aid training, actually about end of last year, November last year. And the trainer was talking and using a, a child, his children for every example he could. And I wrote discreetly asked him look you know don't mind but actually I'm finding out a little bit tricky because this is my situation and he kept saying as parents you will and I said I'm not a parent do you mind and one of the people that was in the class came up to me at the end and she said oh I heard what you said I don't do IVF and and I had a child and you ought to try this clinic Oh. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. That I, my journey's over. I've moved on and I'm in this particular... Oh, but you should, but you should. No, really, this is an inappropriate conversation. Would you please yeah. not have yeah. this conversation. And I had to tell, I think, about three or four times, yeah. no, please don't. But it's human nature to fix. And ironically, it's a mental health first aid training, yes. but you're not really meant to do that anyway. Um, that was part of the whole thing, you know, fix, you listen, you know. And I thought, oh, God, I'm actually better than I thought I was. I should pass this course now. Anyway, but that's an, that happens often. Often in various different ways, if you 
talk about something publicly and it's taken me eight nine years to get to the point between last IVF and doing the podcast and every episode is a form of therapy it's a form of like oh god should we really be doing this every time we do an episode we think oh crikey I'm sure we shouldn't be it's also still coming to terms with something so people can say stuff they tend to get a very straightforward answer from me now because I've learned to do that and I now just don't not just don't take no prisoners but I will always educate if I can if it's right and appropriate and I think the person will be open to that then I will if they are not because they are defensive and they just keep fixing and fixing and fixing I just walk away because actually yeah fundamentally I have to protect my mental health well you've made some very very good valid points there and it's something Mm. we should all take away really about actually looking after oneself and not always saying no but saying no when it really is important to say Mm -hmm. no and not thinking we ought to do it you've won many awards which the Cambridgeshire Digital Awards and listed as mm. one to watch by Cofinitiv and a Digital Women Award winner. And you're also, this is quite interesting too, you're part of Women Who Code. They are all really interesting moments here. But I, I just really want to know the, the part about Women Who Code, it's so sad still that we have to have Women Who Code, but oh, it's I still know. important that we yeah, do that. Isn't I agree. It? I, I, I mm. kind of have an issue with the fact that there should be women only groups anyway. I think there's all sorts mm. of conversation routes we could go down, but I think it's all, everyone who can code is important. And I don't think it matters what gender you are. It should mm. be open to all statistically. I think it's the same actually with podcasts. I don't know if you knew this, but podcasts have got fewer female presenters than men. There's more men. Um, out there who present podcasts which is why there's one of the things that was listed is the digital women awards and that's again one of those things where it's kind of a, a, a response to kind of the fact that there's so many so many men that that like the sound of their own voice i think in podcast land too it gets a bit sort of techie sometimes i think yeah so yeah Berenice, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Linda and I. It has. It's really interesting. It's just been fascinating. And uh, your way of thinking in life is is great. And you've just given a little bit of light to it. So thank you so much indeed. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. That's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks to our guests, Berenice Smith and Danae Shell. Now, we're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives, so please do contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. 